My name is Daryl Austin. I'm the founder and creative director of Bungie Brand. As of right now, I, I just have to say, I'm just happy to be here. Um, I'm happy to be in the position I'm in because with everything that I faced, I wasn't supposed to be here. Um, so I'm actually excited about, you know, talking to you guys and, and giving you guys a, a basic understanding of what it was that I went through to get to this position. And also I know that you guys wanted to know how um, I got engaged with PYB in the first place. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do was give back to the community. And I always wanted to try to help out other individuals that may have been in the same position as me, but I understand. I understand like really well that um, it's not that easy to get out when you're in a bad situation. Um, so that's the one thing that uh, I wanted to give back on. And I ended up having a mutual friend of Kenny's uh, become my publicist. And um, that's how that's who made the connection to PYB. And I remember the first time that I met all those guys, it was like one of the greatest feelings in the world to me because you know, I actually felt like they were paying attention. Um, and one thing for sure is I can, I can relate in every aspect. I think that once we get older, we kind of forget what it's like to be young. And it's like the one thing that I remember when I was young is that no one's gonna come in and tell me, this is what you need to do and think that I'm gonna do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like it takes a little bit more um, engagement it would have took a lot more engagement for me to understand it. So I just take it as I'm speaking to a young me. And that's the reason why everything is starting to come across with the, with the younger generation. I'm really excited about the next, you know, set of uh, moves that we're going to make as far as helping out the kids and the other generation. I am PYB. 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 PYB! Thank you for joining another episode of the Beyond Basketball Podcast. My name is Seth Thompson, proud board member of Philadelphia Youth Basketball. And as always, I'm joined by Kenny Holtzman, co-founder and CEO of PYB. Really excited to kick off this conversation with Daryl Austin. Let's jump right into it. It's great to have uh, Daryl Austin uh, join us on this on this episode. Um, Daryl is a CEO and lead designer for Bungie Olacheni, um, <laughs> aka Bungie Brand, right? <laughs> so, look, um, you know, obviously, you have a very inspiring, right, incredible story. One that I think definitely resonates with community and youth and families, but let's start with the real exciting part. Talk to us a little bit about the birth of Bungie. Oh man. Well, all right. Well, the birth of Bungie, and I'm going to try to make it a long story short. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to have another interview, but um, the birth of Bungie came from me being a rap artist. And every time I went out on stage, I wanted to have a pair of sneakers that no one ever saw before. That was like the beginning of maybe I need to have my own shoe but I never really took it seriously. And then I got myself into a little bit of trouble and um, ended up going to prison. And while I was in there, something told me, like, I didn't really know what my future was gonna be. I remember reading the Bible and I ended up reading, you know, a lot of different materials. And I was just like praying on, you know, please send me some kind of sign of what I need to do for my future. And the next thing you know, I just started like sketching the shoe and it was a it was a, a sneaker that looked like it was placed on a shoe. I'm placed on a piece of paper. And I'm just like, okay, maybe the sneaker thing is is what it is. And then I just continued to keep sketching from there. And that's how uh, Bungie was birthed. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have really good ideas, um, but a lot of people don't know how to transpose an idea to a business plan, right? Uh, and given some of the, the the challenges you just touched on, right? As an example, how did you go from an idea to a business plan to an actual business? Okay, well, what happened was I was just doing the sneaker sketching just for a hobby. Uh, okay. I started off with I'm just gonna just I'm just gonna sketch some sneakers. I want to use it as artwork when I get home, and that was it. And I remember having a conversation with my mother, and she was just like. I feel so sorry for you because I don't know what you're gonna do when you come home from prison because your criminal background is gonna stop you from getting a job. And she was like, 
while you're sitting there, I suggest you figure out what you're going to do for a business when you come home, because you're not going to be able to get hired anywhere. And I was just like, man. So I immediately signed up for barber school so I, I can at least, you know, possibly get a barber shop. And um, I just kept thinking, like, I need to make this, this sneaker brand, you know, a brand and, you know, basically put my all into it to try to make it happen. So at that particular point, that's when I started asking my mom to send me books. You know, hopefully, you know, I can learn something from this. And then as I used to walk the yard, instead of me focusing on playing basketball, lifting weights and all that, I used to walk the yard at the prison and I used to just look at people and observe what they were doing. And if I saw someone reading business books, I would automatically go up, introduce myself and ask them like, do you know anything about a business plan? Cause I didn't. And then, you know, uh, there was one guy in particular that ended up being on my particular block. And once he seen my interest in business plans for like the next year straight, he was just showing me what I need to have in the business plan, what type of research I need to do before I do a business plan. And I remember dudes were laughing at me. Like, I remember like in, other inmates were laughing at me, like, can't believe you sitting there wasting your time with this. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just like, you know, my thing is if I keep doing the basketball stuff and all that, that's not gonna help me when I get home. So I'm really trying to focus on this. And I remember dudes used to laugh like, man, I can sketch a shoe. You know, you're not doing anything special. And it's like, again, it just started off with the conversation that you just had with me where you were saying a lot of people may have a vision, but they won't do it. A lot of people may be scared of it too. Cause it was like, you know, there was a lot of visionaries in prison that just, they never really took the time out to figure it out. So for me, you know, after doing my studies and, and reading and doing research, and then having help from someone, cause I didn't want to have a situation where I had too much pride and was like not wanting to ask anyone for help. Once I ended up asking that guy for help, Bungie Brand was born. I had everything, I had a list from A to Z on what it was that I was gonna do after I came home from prison to be mm -hmm. able to get this thing going. You know, I'd, I'd like to um, assign this term to you like North Star, right? So. When you think about the work we do at PYB and, and Kenny, I'll, I'll ask you to, to chime in on this. Um, obviously, we're looking to impact youth, right, to make sure they have equitable paths forward. But but obviously, there are bumps along the way. So I, I have to imagine that hearing a story like Daryl's kind of puts a smile on your face, Kenny. For sure. Um, and, and for any number of reasons, Seth, and it's, it's great to, you know, over the last year to have uh, gotten to know Daryl uh, on a level of a friend and a colleague, uh, in addition to somebody who's become a good partner to Philadelphia Youth Basketball. Um, when we brought 12 young people from our I Am Because We Are program, uh, all of whom were older boys, older black boys who have been arrested and are in the district attorney's diversion program. Uh, you know, we, we come to Kensington to Daryl's bungee headquarters. And one of the things that uh, he quickly dissuaded the young people about two things. One, you know, getting locked up is uh, there's nothing closer to hell than that. There's no glamour and no added street cred to put in your pocket through those experiences. And second is that anybody can as you guys were talking about, you know, come up with a, a product or a service or a vision, but to build a company and, and a venture-backed company that's going to be able to support the creation and distribution of whatever product or service that you're trying to, to, to get out there into the marketplace, that's hard work. And, and, and Daryl had uh, our guys eating out of his hands when they thought, man, you know, there's, there's men or, old, or older boys on the street trying to get us involved in their enterprise. And if we do that, we get some money in our pocket. We're, we're, we're connected to a community. People are investing in our development. But gosh, you know, a guy like Daryl Austin says, if you want to help build this company and learn skills and get paid, come with me. I, I immediately thought, that that is a competitive scenario. We need to be competing with the mess of the streets. And we can put all sorts of, you know, middle-class lenses on that. Like, oh, it's a terrible risk reward. Why would any kid do that? 
But if you don't see hope and options and positive pathways for you to opt into, well, well, you know, the street life might not be that ill-conceived a decision. So I, I, I was amazed at the bright line that, that Daryl drew in the sand for our young people. I, I think for the most part, when it comes time for uh, exactly what you just said, I think when you think of it from a middle-class perspective, you're automatically gonna feel like, why would anyone wanna jeopardize and stuff like that? But it's like, when you're coming from where they're coming from and where, you know, basically where I came from, it's like the drug dealer is like Jay-Z, Aaron Iverson and all of them. Like that's the level that you look at them on, like they're superstars. And then the college graduate that comes home with the family, that doesn't really look cool in the hood. You know what I mean? Like it just looks like, oh, he's over there working every day. No one really knows who he is. He has his white picket fence, but no one's really paying attention to that. And then it's like, once you go to prison and then, you know, you come out and you can't get a job, you got to really go back to selling drugs again. That person with that white picket fence, his life seems so much better. They're taking vacations. They have family homes. They have, you know, vacation hideaways. And the drug dealer, he basically is coming home to his grandmom's house, sleeping on the couch, trying to, you know, work his way back up to get back to where he was. And it's like, the, the kids don't see that. They only see the guy running around with a nice car, with the girls, and they're not thinking about anything else. And that's the, that's the reason why I really wanted to paint that picture for the kids to understand, like, listen, this is what it is. And all these big name dudes that you see out here shooting guns and selling drugs and this and that, they're in there standing up for count. They're in there taking orders from a corrections officer, telling them when they can shower, when they can use the phone and all that. So there's nothing cool about that. So that's the, the things that I really wanted the kids to understand. And then the, the last thing that I need kids to understand is if you know how to sell drugs, you know how to run a business. It's just that simple because you're buying goods at a lower price, you're selling it for a higher price. You just have to figure out what your business is going to be. But if you know how to sell drugs, you know how to run a business. It's just that simple. And, you know, there's a lot more to it because there was a lot of things that I had to learn to be able to get to where I'm at right now. But it's like, if you already have that common knowledge of what it is that you have to do to be able to, you know, buy a product and sell a product, you're already pretty much 45% there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think a, a lot of people discredit the hustle gene. Like the hustle gene, whether, you know, you run a sneaker brand, right? Or you're in financial services like myself, that has added credibility and it provides a great deal of ability for you to be successful. I've, I've sat on a number of panels and talked to kids in communities to help them connect the dots mm -hmm. but to, between the things that they may think makes them successful in the street and how to transpose that in the professional world. You know, so I think exactly what you're talking about should serve as a source of inspiration because that is a good gene to have when it's used the right way, Absolutely. right? It has to be used the right way. Yep. That so look, I, in my professional world, I, I work a lot with business owners, entrepreneurs of color, and you know, the, the, the challenge that always exists is that less than 2% of capital, right. Goes to people that look like you, mm. right. And as a venture-backed opportunity, talk about the process of gaining the confidence of people to invest in you, raising capital, engaging investors. What was that process like? How did it go? All right. Well, th my situation is going to be a lot different than anyone else's. And this is the reason why I felt like I was destined to be in this business. Um, I know for a fact that God put his hand on me. I don't want to like get too religious, but that's how I feel. Um, God put his hand on me and I feel like I was guided in those ways. I didn't know anything about finding investors. Number one, when I came home from prison, I automatically assumed that no one's going to give me any money for my business just because of my criminal background. So I didn't even look for investors. So what I did was I started off working at the barbershop. I was saving my money and then I would go and I would get, um, you know, sneakers made, prototypes made. And what happened was, you know, it, again, this is going to have to be a, a situation where we might have to get another interview, but I get straight to the meat and bones. Um, a guy that I know, and I'm skipping over a huge step, but there was a guy that I know that um, came in and asked if we had a, you know, if we knew anyone that wanted a TV set. 
And I was like, nah, like, I don't know anyone that wants a TV. Um, you know, we're in a middle-class barbershop. I'm like, I don't really know who's gonna accept a, a TV. He was like, no, this TV is huge. It's like, you know, like it's really big. And I'm like, well, why don't you take it? And he was like, well, it doesn't fit my entertainment center. So now my, my light bulb goes off. I'm like, wait, I've been to his house, his entertainment center, it doesn't fit in there. So I was like, let me go, let me go get the TV. And if someone needs it, I'll give it to him, but we can just store it at the barbershop down in the basement, right? So we ended up going to this house and the house was huge. I didn't even know they even had houses that big, that close to my barbershop, right? So, and it was on the other side of town. So we get inside the, the, um, the house, the living room area was huge, which explains why they had such a big TV. We go over to pick the TV up. And as we're walking out the door with the TV, this beautiful older lady comes walking out of another room and she immediately looks at my feet and says, hey, where did you get those sneakers? And they were sneakers that I designed that I was wearing of the prototypes that I had, right? And I put the TV back down. I explained to her, yeah, you know, I created this sneaker brand and I did this, I did that. And she was like, oh, okay. Do you have a website? And I was like, yeah. And she never wrote anything down, none of that. She just, I didn't even think she was even gonna pay any mind. I turned back around, picked the TV up, we left. The next day, the guy that brought me over to her house, he ended up calling me and he says, yo, what did you do to my boss? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, man, she loves you. And I'm like, seriously? And he was like, yeah, she went to your website. She thinks that you're a genius and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, tell her I said, thank you. And that was like the end of it. I'm thinking that was it. So then he ends up hitting me back later. And he was like, yo, um, here's the business card. My, uh, my boss's wife wants you to meet her husband, which was the lady that was there. She wanted me to meet her husband. So I ended up meeting the husband. He told me that he wasn't interested in investing or anything like that, but he wanted to hear like what it was that I was doing. So he invited me back over to their house. We had a meeting and um, I told him from the very beginning, I said, listen, I don't want to waste your time. I started this business while I was incarcerated and I just have to be honest with you about everything that's going on because I know that this can chase certain people away. And he looks at me and he says, well, what did you do? And I told him, you know, I was in there for selling drugs and you know, I had like a weapons charge and some other stuff. And the first thing he says is, did you have a lawyer? <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I had a lawyer, but I don't think that he was the best that I could have gotten. He's like, yeah, because you wouldn't have went to jail if you would have had a lawyer. So I thought that was funny. So shortly after that, after about an hour, about two hours of us talking, he says, I'm not interested in investing, but I know someone that you can talk to that was in the same shoes as you just last year. And he's a millionaire today. So I'm like, oh, okay. Now he wasn't like incarcerated or nothing. He just was starting his business. And um, the following week, we ended up meeting at his office, which was the guy that I was just talking to. I met at his office to meet this other guy, right? So as I'm sitting in the conference room, I'm talking to this one guy thinking that this is the guy I'm supposed to meet. And as I'm sitting there, two people come walking in, another person comes walking in. Before I know it, there was 14 people in this conference room. And I'm counting them. I'm, there's 14 people. I have no idea who they are. And then the guy that invited me comes walking in and says, hey, I see you guys all met Daryl. And they're like, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we were just in there small talking, but we weren't talking any business at all. So then he was like, Daryl, I want you to show them your products. And I said, listen, everybody, before we start this conversation, I have to explain to you guys that I was in trouble. I went to jail. And I, I just wanted to put it all out there because I didn't want to get excited about meeting someone and then they turn around and pull the rug from under my feet. You know yep. what I mean? Like I wanted to get kicked out the office before the thing even started if that's what was gonna happen. And um, after that, they were like, oh, okay, what were you charged with? And I'm telling them what I was charged with. And all along there was a lawyer in there that was typing up my stuff to see if my stuff was legit, to see if wow. I really was in trouble and all that. I didn't know at the time. So then um, I'm showing them my shoes and after they looked at the shoes and they're passing the shoes around, and these are prototypes that I paid for with my money. After they started looking at the prototypes, one of the guys was like, would you be interested in telling your story on mm -hmm. like how you got here? And I was like, no, I'm not telling anyone. It's embarrassing. I don't want to tell anyone I was in jail. And they were like, listen, we really think that if you go out and tell your story, this, you can really help a lot of people, like just yep. from your story alone. And I was like, I'm not really interested in telling it because again, it's embarrassing to talk about me going to jail. Like it's embarrassing. And he was like, no man, like you really have to help other people. So basically to make a very long story short, um, there were two financial advisors in there 
and the rest of them were investors. They ended up uh, asking me how much money that I needed. I asked for like 14 grand because <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> that that's all I need to be able to get my things back. And they laughed at me and was like, there's no way that you need 14 grand for this project. Let's talk, let, let you go talk to our financial guys and then come back with a number. So they ended up talking, you know, we ended up talking for about a week. And then the financial guys came up with, you know, anywhere between 300 and $500,000 to get started. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I just came home from jail not too long ago. No one's ever given me anything my whole life. And you're going to tell me that just out the flip of a switch, I'm about to get 300 to $500,000. You telling me that? And they were like, yeah, yeah like we want to invest in you. So I'm like, this yeah. has to be some kind of joke. It literally took me about two days to realize that it wasn't a joke. And then the next thing you know, you know, they, they started showing me how to run a business. They started teaching me spreadsheets. They started showing me everything that I needed to learn about running a business before they actually gave me the money. And then after we did that, um, you know, I flew out to Vegas. I ended up meeting some manufacturers that was like on like a higher level. And then um, after I met the manufacturers, we ended up getting this office space. And then oh. as time progressed, we started to get more sneakers in. As you can see, I have a full thing of sneakers over here. You know, we have apparel, yeah. we have all kinds of stuff going on in here now because of that particular meeting. And the one thing that I really wanna like, if I have the opportunity to talk to other kids about my situation, you have to be open to listen to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like me getting mentors was like, the most important part of, of this business. Cause I thought that I knew everything. I came into the situation feeling like I know sneakers. I know this business. I didn't know anything. Yeah. I didn't know anything after talking to them. I realized I didn't know anything. Yeah. And that's great because it, it usually doesn't go down that way. Right. Yeah. Like I, it, it seemed like that time frame was, was pretty quick, which is absolutely very abnormal, but there's power in storytelling, you know, and I think you see why I know that I'm meant to be here. <laughs> because it's not, it doesn't happen that easy for anyone. That's yeah. I have to give back to people because I have to make it easier for someone else. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you now have these knowledge mentors and obviously you're building your brand. Your, your success is on the right trajectory. You know, when I think about this through like the PYB lens, you know, that's what we hope our mentors and coaches become to the kids, right? If you, if you allow kind of kids to be themselves and Kenny, you can talk about this. You talk about this self um, determination, right? To me, that sounds like what got Daryl to this point. Yeah, when I think about self-determination, it's the ability to imagine and envision and actualize uh, a situation for yourself uh, that really pulls upon what, what your values and your passions and your skills and, and all of that. And when Daryl's, you know, sketching sneakers behind bars and I'm sure he'll talk a little bit about his friendship with Bernard Hopkins, uh, who's been a real inspiration to him. I think about that the ability to set goals and to self-determine requires a lot of grit and, and tenacity and all that, but it also requires um, access to influential folks ahead of you who can open doors and give you knowledge and invest in you and occasionally give you some tough love. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I know two of the individuals that were in that 14 person meeting that Daryl spoke about. Uh, these are older white mainline gentlemen in their eighties. So this is not like, you know, bumping into a, a, a buddy, um, you know, getting a burger on, on, on the, at the corner bar. This is a whole uh, world that most people don't, you know, most people don't get into boardrooms with venture capitalists and get a chance to present themselves, their ideas, their hopes, dreams, fears, uh, and get a positive reception with not just investment capital, but all the other knowledge of business building help and legal help and access to manufacturing and distribution and supply chain. 
So I really think that with PYB, we have what I call a high social capital organization. And that's only going to grow when our center and ultimately the larger campus is developed, that we're going to have, you know, seven to 12 businesses co-located with us, all with shared agreements and shared values to reach back and give young people uh, the kinds of career building opportunities that could enable them to self-determine. You know, Seth, whether it's as an entrepreneur and a company builder, like what Daryl's done, or somebody that can at least, you know, get on the rails and transcend his or her circumstances and, 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 and realize their best selves, regardless of what the ceiling is, but certainly um, better than one's current circumstance. There's a, there's a real benefit to having mentors, coaches, sponsors, whatever you, however you refer to that person in your life. Um, it's most powerful when people are advocating for you and kind of addressing the, the unknowns, right? Daryl in that room, right? You had people who automatically latched on to your story. I would imagine some said, hey, this is a great story. This is great for marketing. But then majority of that room was like, nah, there's a talent here um, that needs to be kind of put on blast, right? And, and we have to help him realize his vision, right? And I think that is, um, that's what it's all about, right? Mentorship without advocacy is just mentorship. I know the, and, one, thing, the one thing that's crazy to me, and I mean to cut you off. Yep. Um, the way that, uh, you know, Kenny described the room, you know, as far as the men that were in the room and mm -hmm. one woman that was in the room, um, I'm really surprised after me knowing them for almost two years now, I'm really surprised that they even took the risk on me because mm -hmm. I've been, you know, I've been the business coaching. You know, I mean, I have a lot of different things that, that they put in my way, or not my way, but on my lap for me to be able to be a CEO of my company. And I'm really trying to figure out what diamond that they saw in that rough because I wasn't the, like the way that I'm speaking to you now, that's not how I used to speak. I, I like when I was yeah. in that meeting, I wasn't talking like this, you know what I mean? So it's like for them to be able to see the talent under that rawness that I had when I went into that building, it, it blows my mind away because they really believed in me and they still do. So yeah, you know, me having that, that backing is what blew my mind away. So you know, when it comes time for these kids, you just have to have someone that really believes that, you know, they can achieve whatever they want to achieve. And once they get that feeling of someone actually caring about their success, then maybe they'll take their success a little bit more seriously. But your success has now created more allies for other Daryls, right? Just yeah. imagine if you failed, yeah. right? Yeah. Just imagine the other people in that room like, man, we tried. Like it's yeah. hopeless. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Right. So um, I will, what we say, I will give you flowers today <laughs> just for the fact that you help change other people's perspectives. Yeah. And one, right? thing, one thing for sure. And a lot of people that like, just the thing that um, I feel hurts our community. I think that pride and egos hurt our, our, our communities. And the reason why I say that is because the way that I handled myself with these gentlemen was not like how it would have been if I was on the streets. I actually, you know, made it so that that way they felt safe dealing with me. Like, and what I mean by that is when they gave me the money, instead of me just going, you know, spending crazy and getting everything that I wanted and needed, if it costs over $2,000, I would hit them up in an email and be like, yo, do you mind if I do this? Even though it's in our business account, I want them to feel safe with what I spent. And the average person may not feel like they owe anyone an explanation. But the reason why I did that is because I knew from the very beginning was very unorthodox for them to do business with someone like me. And I wanted everyone to feel safe with their money in my hands. So to this day, I still practice certain things to be able to make it so that everyone in this group feels comfortable. And again, mm -hmm. like these are the things that I wanna be able to present to the younger generation coming up because a lot of people wouldn't think that way. You know what I mean? Yep. So, you know, again, you know, I feel like once you get your foot in the door and you show some success, then you can ease up on doing that. But in the very beginning, I think that, you know, 
in our circumstances, I'm not talking about everyone that's in, in, in business. I'm talking about in our circumstances where we basically come from nothing and someone's taking a risk. We have to drop the ego and we have to let, let people feel comfortable with dealing with us. So quick question for you, just because I, I know you're building a brand and you've had some success, but my guess is you're not comfortable with where you are today. How is that evolving? Like, what do you want Bungie to be later? What do you want it to be for the community? What do you want it to be for your family? Honestly, I, I really just want to try to build a legacy for, you know, the the youth. It's not even about me anymore. Like, I, I'm in a situation where I'm good. I could take care of my family. And, you know, my thing is I'm just trying to find the perfect fit for me to be able to help other kids that was in the same exact situation as mine to let them understand that you don't need rap music or basketball only to be able to be successful. Because there's a lot of kids that are out there that they're not gonna make it to the NBA. Like you have to understand that, what, there's only like 400 and something NBA athletes. Yeah. So, and there's millions and millions of ball players. So basketball for me, which I encourage people to play because you have to learn how to be a team player. You know, you, 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 you get a lot of exercise and mental exercise dealing with a team for you to be able to take that to another level. But at the same time, you have to be prepared for what happens if you don't make it to the NBA. You have to have some kind of structure and some kind of foundation of what it is that you want to do if that doesn't work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And my thing is, my biggest success will be if I could help people get jobs, whether they're working at Bungie or whether they're working in a construction site, I really just want to be able to try to get some kind of foundation together with other employers to be able to give people a shot. Because one thing that I do know, and I'm a prime example of this, people don't wanna give inmates or former inmates a chance. One thing that I can tell you, those former inmates will probably work much harder than the average person because they know that they're not supposed to have that job. You understand what I'm saying? They know that they worked like their behinds off in car while they were incarcerated for scraps. So they're gonna be much more appreciative to be able to get $500 a week when they're used to getting $85 a month. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yep. And it's like, you know, they just like, I'm not gonna say they, I'm gonna say we, because I'm in that situation as well. I'm gonna say we don't get the opportunity to be able to have the same love and respect from employers the way that the average person that graduated from college would be. You understand what I'm saying? Like. Fair. I'm around college graduates and I'm around a lot of different people now. And they look at it where it's like, I'm not taking that job for less than 140,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But I know someone that'll take that job for 25,000 a year if they can get their hands on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, the, the hunger is just totally different. So yeah. I just really like to answer your question and I'll sum it up. I feel like I'll be successful if I can put other people in place that, you know, feel like, you know, they don't have an opportunity to be able to get to that place. That's all I really yeah. want to be able to do. Reach back and pull people up. That's it. Daryl, when uh, our young people came to visit you, I, obviously your, your headquarters, your studio, it, it, it sparkles and you sparkle. And it was easy for them to become enamored. But as you began talking about your journey and your story and the art and science of building a company, what I really saw in the young people was, wow, this guy is building something and he owns something in, in, in you know, the way that um, policy folks and political folks would talk about it is you're building equity, right? You, you, you have an ownership interest in your company and there's nothing wrong with working for somebody else. In fact, you can do quite well in somebody's C-suite or somebody's senior management, but you're an entrepreneur, you've built something, you have equity. And uh, I think the young people, you know, th th that had the opportunity to hang with you that evening and have seen you again in subsequent settings, um, you have a sense of what I call voice value and visibility that is, is off the charts attractive for kids. Thank you. Look at this guy, he is determining his own destiny. How do you translate to kids um, or other entrepreneurs following you 
what it takes to, to do this because company building is far different than coming up with a, a really cool product or an interesting service. Yeah, I think for the most part, the first thing that helps me out when it comes time for, for sharing my story and, and sharing ideas is I am them. You know what I mean? Like I am those guys that I'm talking to. Um, I remember being in those settings where I'm in like a halfway house and they bring some firemen in to give us a speech. And I'm just looking at it where it's like, why am I listening to this guy? I can't be a fireman. They're not going to hire me. I have a criminal record. So it's like, why, why are you guys bringing this guy here? And, you know, like, you know, or other people that will come in and be like, you need to get your life together. It's like, I don't want to hear that. Like, cause it's like nothing that you're saying relates to anything that I'm doing. So that's the reason why I always try to take myself out of where I am now and put myself back in that same place that I was at when I was on Dean Erie at that halfway house or when I was at SCI Greater for the when I was at Dallas. I know what it felt like, like it was yesterday. You know what I mean? So I know what it feels like. Um, and this isn't my particular life. I just have friends that are like this, but I remember the times where people were heating their house with the oven you know what I mean? And, 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 you know, doing different things where they're running electrical cords across the street because our power went out. So it's impossible for me to be able to say, hey, just go get a job because people need money right now. So if they're seeing that they can just sell drugs, or they can rob someone or something like that to be able to get a quick payment to be able to go pay a bill, they're going to do it. But the one thing that I want to try to put in people's heads is that one little minute that you use to do whatever it was that you did criminal wise, it could cost you the rest of your life. It could cost you five years. It could cost you 10 years. That little thing that I did in that little 30 seconds, it cost me six and a half years of my life. The time before that, it cost me almost four years of my life. The time before that, it was two years of my life. So when it was all said and done, I got over 10 years of prison in me. You know what I could have done with that 10 years if I would have knew what I know now? All it took was for someone just to, to, to like take the time out to show me things like the perfect example is when I was, you know, doing my thing. I remember when I got this new car, I have jewelry on, I have watches and rings and all that. And one of the older guys that used to sell drugs before me on that same block comes up to me. Like, I see you young buck. I see you shining. I see you shining. What he should have did was pull me to the side and was like, look, I just came home from jail. I just did 10 years. You don't want to be in the boat that I was in. I lost my girl. I lost my house. My parents died when I was incarcerated. I'm coming home. I don't have anything. I'm coming to you asking you if I can borrow $20. And for me, I felt good giving this dude the $20 because I was looking up to him for 15 years. I was like, here, you can take 100. I thought I was the man when I did that. But the whole thing of it was, is I felt like that conversation could have went in opposite directions because if he would have told me what he experienced, I probably wouldn't have been doing what I was doing after that. I would have thought a little bit more about it. You know what I mean? So that's the reason why I'm trying to spark the brains of the, of the kids before they even put themselves in that situation. You know what I mean? Like there's other things that you can do. And the thing of it is that kind of steers people away is sometimes they may not be that smart as the other person in their classroom, or maybe they have some kind of learning disability, or they just feel like they don't have any hope, or there's still ways that you can circle around that to get to where you need to be. So um, to answer your question, the reason why it's, it's kind of easier for me to be able to do what I do is because I, I put myself in their shoes and I, I just, you know, speak the truth. I don't um, bend anything. I don't try to lie about anything to make anything look better than what it is. I speak true facts. This is how I got on. This is how I did it. It may not work for everyone because there's a million other ways that you can do it, but this is what worked for me. And most of the time when I say it that way, it's respected more. You have to understand when I started my business, I was going to get it regardless whether mm -hmm. I had the investors or not. As you already knew, and I explained to you earlier, I had already saved my money. I had already had 10 prototypes. I've already mm -hmm. had you no know, sneakers that I was personally wearing, which is how I got the deal. So I was going to get there regardless. It's just that it would have taken me longer because I had to save my barbershop money to get there. But these are the things that, you know, are the truths that make these kids understand like, yo, this guy's really telling the truth and he's real. Yeah. Kenny touched on something earlier. We didn't spend any time on it. Um, and he mentioned the words Bernard Hopkins. Mm -hmm. So what do those words mean to you? And, and what's that 
um, relationship and empowerment like? Bernard Hopkins to me, in certain ways he saved my life. And I can, I'm trying to figure out the best ways to be able to do it because I'm so enamored with this guy. And it's like, he's not the hall of fame boxer to me. He's my uncle. He's someone that cared about me more than my own family members have, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the way that I met Bernard was I had a shoe that looked like a boxing sneaker. A customer came in and it's just a coincidence that I had these sneakers on the day that he came in. He says, Hey, I have a meeting with Bernard tomorrow. You want me to see if he can come so he can, you can show him the sneakers. I was like, of course. So he calls Bernard. Bernard was like, sure, but he only has three minutes. <laughs> I'm like, damn, I got to do an elevator pitch and get in and get out. You know what I mean? So I'm going to do my elevator pitch, tell him about myself and present my sneakers to him all in three minutes. And Bernard, when he says what he says, it is what it is, right? So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go to this restaurant. I got the last three minutes of the, of the meeting. And, you know, I'm in there. I'm, I'm practicing my elevator you know, pitch. And I'm like, damn, you know, this can be my one and only chance. As soon as we walk into the restaurant, Bernard's already back there, like in the back. And he says, where's the sneaker guy? I'm like, I thought I was getting the last three minutes. He was like, no, I want to talk. We going to talk to you first. So I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so I go over to him with my bag of sneakers. Um, I pull my sneakers out. And he's just kind of looking at him like, this isn't the shoe. But he's looking at it. And he's like, Gabby. Gabby and Gabby's the one that owns the restaurant. So Gabby comes walking over. He's like, what's up champ? He was like, would I wear something like this? And Gabby was like, nah champ, I, I, I can't see you wearing anything like that. He was like, this isn't even my type, man. I'm too old for stuff like this. Meeting's over. I'm like, what? Wow. I was like, what do you mean it's over? I said, wait, 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 wait. Just give me one second. And that happened, all that happened in 30 seconds. Like it, my three minutes wasn't up. I said, yo, can I get at least another minute out of my three minutes? he was like, what's up? I was like, listen, can you just please explain to me what you did? And I know it's going to be a long story, but can you just give me a roundabout? But what did you do to be able to get from prison to the way that you're living right now? Because every single one of these designs that you looked at, I created these in prison. And he mm -hmm. said, what? He said, what do you mean you created these in prison? I was like, yeah, I sketched all this stuff in prison. Here's my sketches because I had my sketches with me too. And I was like, these are the sketches, these are the sneakers. And he was like, you did this in jail? What jail were you at? And I said, I was at Graterford for about two years. I left Graterford prison, I went to SCI Dallas. And he said, those are the same two prisons that I was at. And mm -hmm. as soon as he said that, the, the other meeting, it kind of like blew over and I spent the rest of the day with him. And um, he asked me to go to the gym with him. We went to the gym and he was like, listen, give me whatever it is that you want me to wear and I'll do a video for you, take pictures, whatever it is that you need. So I put the clothes on him, gave him the sneaks, and you know he did everything that I asked. He did a video for me and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this is a great experience, you know. but I know that it's over after it's over. You know what I mean? Yep. So I was like, listen, man, it was a pleasure meeting you. You know, Hopefully I'll run into you another time. He's like, what you mean? Take my number down, we can communicate. So I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So I was like, all right. So I took his number down, texted on mine, and I'm still thinking to myself, like, this dude's not going to talk to me anymore. He might not remember who I am. You know what I mean? And he was still fighting. He still had one more fight to do. So I'm just like, he's not worried about me. It's a wrap. The next morning, I remember like it was yesterday. It was like 4.57 a.m. Mm -hmm. My phone's ringing. I'm like, who the heck is calling me 4.57? Hello? Yo, get up. Get the sheets out your ass. You said you want to know why, how I got from this position to that position. This is how. Get your ass up and we're going to make this happen. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Where am I going to go? It's five o'clock in the morning. He was like, get up. So then, you know, I got up and I'm sitting around like, what am I going to do now? And he calls me back. He's like, are you awake now? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm just going to let you know, if you're trying to be a millionaire, you're not going to get there by sleeping. Wow. So you get on a better sleeping schedule. You need to eat healthy and you need to work out. Once you get your mental right, everything else is going to flow smoothly. Wow. So I started working out. I started eating better. And these are all the different things that he's teaching me before he even teaches me anything. Right. So before I even got to sitting down with him and, and talking, you know, how, you know, to get, like, it was so many different questions that I have for the guy. And I'm going to get to that after I tell you this. He wanted me to eat right and he wanted me to exercise 
before he even communicated with me, period. So yeah. probably about like, you know, we talked to each other every day on the phone from that point on. And then I sat down to talk to him and most people were like, well, how much money did he give you? How much did he do? How come? And it's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want no money from this man. I want knowledge. His knowledge is more uh, valuable. valuable to me than yep. money. So I never even asked him for anything. Like even when he goes to Sixers games and all that, he'll ask me if I want to come. I don't want to go. I want I want to have a relationship with you. Forget the Sixers game. No disrespect to the Sixers. I'm just saying that you know I, I don't want him for any of that. I want knowledge, and and that's how we built our relationship. So the first question that I asked him outside of um, you know the the diet and all was how did he get off parole? Walk mm-hmm. the, the, the rest of his parole off because when you're on probation and parole, you're almost like a target for the parole officer or the probation officer to make it where you're going to go back to jail. Yep. I don't want to go back to jail anymore. I'm on parole. I still got to be on parole for another two years. Be hot. Like, what do I got to do to be able to get off of this? Because my PO was on my behind. You know what I mean? And he started giving me jewels on that. He started showing me, you know, you can't be at the, you know, hang out with the same people you hung out with. You mm-hmm. can't go to certain places anymore. Like these are all the different things that I had to do to be able to get off parole. So I followed his lead. I stopped going out. I stopped, and I, when I say going out, I'm talking about the places that I used to go to. Yeah, you know I feel I mean? you. I stopped hanging out with the people that used to get me in trouble and started hanging out with people that had their stuff together. And yep. then the people that had their stuff together, like my man Kenny here, all that's rubbing off on me to make me a better person. It's mm-hmm. helping me where I'm not using the same slang words that I was using. You know, yep. once you get around people that are speaking correct English, it makes you speak correct English because you're around them for so long. Before yeah. I was I was the hood dude with the, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> that was me. Like, and I know it for a fact. And my vocabulary changed as I got around B-Hop, as I got around my investors, as I yep. got around people like Kenny, it, it changes you. So, you know, that's, you know, the last thing I wanted to touch on, and I think you just did in a really good way is, that's the importance of surrounding yourself with you you tend to absorb right the energy the knowledge all of the the good things right that then transform transform who you are um i think before you go any further i think mm-hmm. that we need to explain to the kids what that means though because most of the time when they, when you say surround yourself around better people number one they're thinking that when they surround themselves with this person that this person is going to give them money Number two, if you're already in the hood and all you know is bad people, how do you get to a good person? Yeah. And I'm saying like, if it wasn't for my story, I wouldn't have good people around me. I would still have the same hood around me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I was in that area. That's where I was at. So we, I feel like, you know, for us being on the platforms that we're on, we have to introduce to the kids how to surround yourself with better people. Yeah. So I've got, I've got one final question for you, and this is an elevator pitch. You've got 60 seconds, right? Mm. I'm going to see how creative you, you are. in a spot like that? Yeah, I think you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you, did it you did everything else. Um, if the young Daryl Austin walked in front of the current Daryl Austin today, what would you tell that young Daryl Austin? Say that again. Say that one more time. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get all yep. these Daryl Austins together. Let me. Let me. So, if the younger Daryl Austin, okay, pre bungee pre incarceration, stepped into you, stepped up to you right now to talk to who you are today, the current Daryl Austin, what advice would you give the younger Daryl Austin? What type of life advice? Number one, I would try to tell them to think outside the box because sometimes you only have one opportunity to talk to someone and if that opportunity doesn't work out, you may not get another chance. Yeah. Um, so think about what you're talking about and do proper research before you come to me. Um, you know, without research, you, you, you're gonna look kind of funny if I'm asking you questions that you don't know the answers to. Um, and, you know, basically just come in with passion. It's like, you know, when I talk, some people may think that it's aggressive, but it's the rapper in me, I, I'm animated. And it's like, I'm passionate about my project. So if I'm coming to you saying that, you know, I have this sneaker right here that I want to be able to sell, you need to sell me this sneaker if you want me to back you or if you want me to support what you have going on. And the one thing that I can tell you when I was pitching to those people that Kenny talked about earlier, I was pitching to them like my life was on the line. 
Yeah. Like I was almost crying because I was like, I needed this opportunity. So I just feel like you have to do your proper research and, and do everything possible to know every single ounce of what it is you're trying to uh, project to someone. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that idea of letter to my younger self is just very powerful. You know, we, we, we are all going to be asked at some point in time to pour into other people. Um, I just hope we do it proactively and don't have to wait for the question to be asked. Yeah. Also, you show me that sneaker three times now, so I think you want me to buy it. But we'll we'll talk oh, about nah, that. No, nah, no, this this just happened to be next. To me. <laughs> I'm yeah, joking, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this ha just happened to be next to me. I have other yeah. sneakers around, but I was actually I'm actually working on that one right now. Yeah, it's it's on my desk right now. That's gotcha, man. Well, look, we appreciate it, Kenny. I don't know if you have any any final thoughts, but this is a very energetic episode. Um, Daryl, I thank you, Kenny. Any closing thoughts on your end? Well, Daryl knows what it is that I'm interested in, and that's uh, to put the Bungie headquarters on the PYB campus. Conversation for down the road, but the more that we can get of Daryl's wisdom and mentorship to young people and other emerging entrepreneurs, uh, very, very powerful uh, symbiotic relationship. Daryl, man, thanks for joining us, man. This was, this was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys reaching out and having me on. I want to thank you all for listening to a very invigorating conversation with Daryl. Um, I think Daryl offered uh, a great perspective, a very vulnerable perspective about his journey. Um, and there certainly are some gems um, for our families, communities, and, and certainly our young people to take away. Uh, so Daryl, I, I thank you again for joining us. And as always, I encourage our listeners to like and subscribe our PYB podcast, Beyond Basketball, and you can follow PYB on any social media outlet.